Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out front next, breaking news. Trump appeals to the Supreme Court, the former president asking the nation's highest court to overturn Colorado's ruling banning him from the ballot. His legal team says what happened on January 6th was not an insurrection. Also tonight, on the brink of a global war. After explosions kill more than 100 people in Iran, the president there pointing the finger at the United States. Is the war in the Middle East about to get much bigger? And we are live tonight in Iowa as Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis face some tough questions with days to go before the caucuses here. Who's got more momentum? Let's go out front. And good evening. I'm Erin Burnett. We are live tonight from Des Moines, Iowa, where CNN will host back-to-back -to -back town halls tomorrow night, days away from the Republican caucuses. Now, we'll have much more on that in a moment, but we have breaking news tonight at this hour. Former President Trump tonight asking the nation's highest court to keep him on the ballot in Colorado, filing that appeal. The former president appealing the historic ruling by the highest court in Colorado, which deemed him an insurrectionist and held that that made him ineligible to hold public office, according to the Constitution's 14th Amendment in the state of Colorado. According to Trump's filing, Trump's lawyers write, the Colorado Supreme Court erred in how it described President Trump's role in the events of January 6, 2021. It was not insurrection, and President Trump, way, in no, President Trump in no way, quote, engaged in a, quote, insurrection. Now, separate from the issue of being on the ballot, Again, to focus in on the crucial point here, they're saying it was not an insurrection. His lawyer is going on to write that in the days leading up to January 6th and on that day itself, quote, his only explicit instructions called for protesting peacefully and patriotically to support our Capitol Police and law enforcement, to stay peaceful and to remain peaceful. Hmm. Here's Trump leading up to January 6th. But you have to fight hard, and then you fight hard, and you hit them back. We have to fight. Now is the time to fight harder than ever before. If you don't fight to save your country with everything you have, you're not going to have a country left. And on the day of the insurrection, here is Donald Trump in his own words. Fight, fight, fight. Fighting the fight fighting i'd fight so i'd fight they'd fight i'd fight they'd fight fight fighting we fight we fight like hell we fight like hell trump mentioned the word fight 16 times 16 times he said the word fight in the minutes before his supporters stormed the u.s capitol now today's filing by trump thrusts the supreme court into having to resolve an unprecedented legal issue and it is one that will affect not just the election in colorado of course but also 
possibly the entire election itself across the United States. I mean, just take a look at Maine, right? Last week, the secretary of state there announced Trump would be cut from the Maine primary ballot. Trump is appealing that decision as well. And another challenge to Trump's eligibility for office is now before the top court in the state of Oregon. Well, in a moment, I'm going to speak to the former Trump White House attorney, Ty Cobb. But first, I want to begin with uh, the breaking news here with Paula Reed. She is out front live in Washington tonight. And Paula, this appeal coming in the Colorado case, which was uh, the crucial canary in the coal mine for this, right? Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, led to then what happened in Maine. What can you tell us from your reporting about the appeal and then what happens from here? So the way the Trump team has framed this, they are asking the Supreme Court to return to voters the ability to choose the candidate they want. Uh, they argue that the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to remove Trump from the ballot was the first time in this country's history that the judiciary has prevented voters from selecting uh, a party's primary candidate. Now, then they go on to advocate for their interpretation of the Constitution, specifically Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. That is the part that has been litigated now across multiple states, and it says that if you engage in an insurrection, mm -hmm. you cannot hold a future office. They insist that it doesn't apply to presidents because it doesn't explicitly say that it does. They argue to the high court that if you believe that this applies to presidents, you have to believe that the drafters decided to bury the most visible and prominent national office in a catch-all term. They insist that this reading defies common sense and is not correct. Now, Aaron, as you know, this question, this divided the courts even within the state of Colorado. So that's a question that is ripe for the Supreme Court. They also argue that the mechanism for, for determining eligibility, that it is Congress, not the states, and attack the Secretary of State of Colorado's power to assess the eligibility based on her assessment of a candidate's qualifications. So now all eyes are on the Supreme Court. Today's appeal uh, increasing the pressure already on the high court, but that coupled with the numerous appeals that we're seeing here, really we need the high court to weigh in and give clarity to all 50 states on all of these issues. It's very much expected that they will weigh in. What they'll say, Aaron, is anybody's guess. All right. Thank you very much, Paula, with the breaking news. And now let's go, as promised, to Ty Cobb, the former Trump White House lawyer. So, Ty, you've had a chance to read through Trump's filing tonight, this appeal that we knew was coming right now. You've had a chance to see the arguments and the details that they make. Um, you know, you, you thought originally this could be a 9-0 ruling uh, in his favor, not about whether he's an insurrectionist, right? This is about whether uh, he can remain on the ballot. Do you think the Supreme Court, now you've re read this appeal, will keep him on the Colorado ballot or not? Yes, I do. I think, I think the, the way that the court will analyze this um, they will not, I don't think they'll reach the issue of was it or was it not an insurrection, uh, sadly. I mean, as, as you highlighted earlier, um, you know, you can say fighting 16 times and peaceable or peacefully twice and, you know, pretend that you didn't mean fight, um, and that you can sit in your office for three and a half hours, do nothing and send out a mean tweet about uh, Vice President Pence um, and pretend that you didn't incite these people. But um, I think the issue is not whether or not Trump participated or gave aid and comfort to insurrectionists, but whether Article 3 of the 14th Amendment actually applies to the president. And I think there, um, you know, um, sadly, that uh, Trump has the winning hand under the Constitution. Um, 
they the Colorado Republican Party briefed this issue uh, a week or more ago uh, in their petition for cert. Uh, Trump slipped his brief in under the deadline. Why the delay? I don't know. Uh, but the argument that is central to both briefs is the applicability of Article 3. Uh, the article as written does not mention the president or the vice president. Uh, the term officer of the United States is used three times in the Constitution. And the way it's used in Article 3 uh, says that anyone who is an officer of the United States who has taken an oath to support the Constitution, that's, that's an oath um, that comes out of Article 3. The Trump oath, the president's oath, comes out of Article 4 and is not an oath to support the Constitution. Those are the precise words used in Article 3 and in, hmm. um, uh, in Article 3 of the Constitution and in Article 3 of the 14th Amendment. But the, the words that the president says are to protect and preserve um, and defend the Constitution. So the oath is different and the... Two other times that it's mentioned in the Constitution are the Appointments Clause and the Commission Clause, which effectively say that the President appoints or commissions all officers of the United States. And as recently as 2010, Justice Roberts made the point in the Free Enterprise versus the Public Accounting Oversight Board um, that people do not vote for officers in the United States. So I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say um, on this one that I believe that the president's lawyers are correct uh, constitutionally. Um, other people disagree. Uh, there was a battle of law review articles. Um, uh, originally, Professor Bill Bode at, uh, yeah. or William Bode at, at the University of Chicago, who I know and respect. Um, and his colleague, Mr. Uh, Professor Paulson of uh, University of St. Thomas, uh, wrote a law review article articulating the theory that uh, was adopted in uh, Colorado and subsequently in Maine. Uh, but there's been equal scholarship on the other side. And Professor Stephen Calabresi, who was, you know, uh, he's he's no he's no liberal defender. He founded the Federalist Society um, after being an enthusiastic supporter of the Bode article, uh, concluded reluctantly that loathsome though Trump was to him, he had to agree that Article 3 did not apply to the president and that Trump would have to be beaten at the ballot box. I think that's where the Supreme Court will end up. Uh, I think it'll be, it should be 9-0, uh, I think, because the issue is relatively straightforward. On the other hand, it could be, you know, it could be 7-2, yeah. but I don't think it'll be much more split than that. Well, you know, and, and I hope people will replay your answer here because you did lay it out. And I think it's important you did because, you know, there are many who say, well, it's circular. You scoff if you say you can't have the president as an officer. But I think it's important for people to, to hear exactly all these details as you lay them out. Um, and, and we do have some reporting separate from the issue of being on the ballot, the issue of immunity itself. Right. In the DOG January 6th case sure. against Trump, um, a source tells CNN that he will be attending next week's appeals court arguments on presidential immunity. And obviously his side is arguing that he cannot be prosecuted for official acts as president. Um, you were among more than a dozen attorneys and former government officials who signed on to a friend of the court briefing 
uh, an amicus brief filed in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to argue against Trump's claim of immunity, to, against that, to think he can be prosecuted. So um, why do you think he's choosing to be there himself in person? What, what's behind that? That's we've just found out. I don't think it's the advice of his lawyers. Uh, I think it's, you know, his ego and his perception that, uh, you know, in his uh, uh, all-powerful uh, imagination uh, as the man uh, behind the curtain, uh, wants to be in front of the curtain for this one and uh, thinks that it may well, may well uh, influence uh, the judges in connection with their questioning and determinations, but I think he's... Uh, I think he's drastically mistaken. I'm not sure why he, why he would be there, uh, but he has the absolute right to be there. He's the he's the party, um, and I think that I think that those arguments are frankly so frivolous that there's a striking possibility that the D.C. Circuit uh, will uh, rule promptly and decisively against him in connection with his claim that. Um, unlike the principle forever honored in America in the last 250 years or so, um, that no man is above the law, that um, uh, contrary to, to that common belief, uh, he is and uh, he's wrong. All right. Ty Cobb, thank you very much. We appreciate it as always. And next, two bombs in Iran killing more than 100 people. Tonight calls for retaliation. Iran blaming the United States. Begging the very serious question now for all of us of whether we are on the brink of a much bigger global war. Plus, with just 12 days until the Iowa caucuses, Ron DeSantis ramping up his attacks, only not against the front runner, Donald Trump. I think he needs to go after Trump, and I don't see him doing it. Plus, breaking news, dozens of documents connected to accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein were just released. Uh, going through them now, possibly including the identities of some of his very well-known associates. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Tonight, on the brink of an all-out war, calls for retaliation tonight are growing after more than 100 people were killed. 100 people killed today by two powerful explosions in Iran, and the supreme leader there is warning there will be a harsh response to the attack. It happened at a ceremony honoring the former Iranian general, Hassan Soleimani. Now, he was a crucial Revolutionary Guard general. He was assassinated by the U.S. under the Trump administration four years ago. The Iranian president now asked me to point the finger at Israel for the deadly attack, saying, quote, I'll warn the Zionist regime, do not doubt that you will pay a heavy price for this crime and the crimes you have committed. This comes just a day after an explosion in Beirut killed senior Hamas leader Salah al-Rori, Hamas blaming Israel. Israel, of course, not taking uh, direct responsibility. And the leader of Hezbollah now vowing a response and punishment over Arori's death. Lebanon's foreign minister telling CNN they're desperately trying to hold Hezbollah back from war with Israel. The entire region right now is a tinderbox with growing fears that this war could spread there and far beyond the borders of Israel and Gaza and the Middle East itself. Nick Robertson begins our coverage out front live in Tel Aviv. Nick, Iran uh, today, I mean, you got 100 people dead at, 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 around the grave of a general that they revered. Um, there was a bomb. People showed up to help. There was another bomb. It was a horrific e event. What more are you learning about who's behind it and what retaliation could actually occur because of it? Yeah, and the biggest death toll in, in this sort of uh, strike inside Iran in years and years and years. Uh, well, the Iranians are very clearly pointing the finger at uh, Israel for this. And, and as you were saying, they're vowing both from the supreme leader and from the president, vowing uh, a response, a harsh response. Israel uh, has has not said anything about it at all. The United States has said that it's a they believe it's a terror attack. They have no independent information about it, and they have no reason to believe at all that Israel was involved. And that's the U.S. position, and that very much Israel's silence says the same thing. Um, but that, what does that mean? How could the response come? Um, Iran, you know, calculates carefully what it can do, where it can do, how it can do it. But don't forget, this leadership is smarting from just 10 days ago. One of their senior IRGC generals was killed in an airstrike in Syria and they believe that was again Israel responsible for that strike so they really feel that Israel is digging at them they've been cautious to keep themselves away from the fight in Gaza but this perhaps if it doesn't tempt the leadership it will certainly create upward pressure from hardliners particularly within the IRGC yeah. to want to see some action yeah, absolutely. When you have 100 people dead, uh, you know, that, that can change the calculus in a country. Thank you very much, Nick, in Tel Aviv. And I want to go now to Barack Ravid, our political and global affairs analyst. And, and Barack, you've been warning about the potential for a much bigger war. And, and here we are. You've got 100 people dead, uh, as, as Nick was saying, many, many years since we've seen any such thing in Iran. Uh, so shocking that country. They're blaming Israel and Israel's silence, of course, um, doesn't mean much. They're silent when they do something, silent when they don't. So Iran can level any charge it wants. How close are we tonight to a wider war? Good evening, Aaron. So first about the, the uh, terrible explosion in Iran, at least as far as I understand from speaking to both uh, Israeli and U.S. officials, this was not an Israeli uh, operation. Israel had nothing to do with this uh, with this thing. Um, and uh, by the way, unlike the killing of the Iranian general in Damascus a few days ago, which was an Israeli operation, today explosions yeah. have nothing, had nothing to do uh, with Israel. But still, if you look 
at what's going on in the region, and not necessarily in Iran, but the two other hotspots that are connected to Iran. First, Lebanon, and second, Yemen. Those are two major hotspots that can blow up at any minute. Uh, in Lebanon, uh, we are all waiting to see whether Hezbollah will retaliate for the assassination of Hamas official Saleh Hauri by Israel the other day. And in Yemen, we are waiting to see whether the U.S. and its allies are finally going to do something militarily against Houthi attacks on shipping lanes in the Red Sea. And, and, and it just escalates and escalates. I mean, the Beirut strike uh, that killed the Hamas leader Salah al-Rori uh, that we were talking about a moment ago, two U.S. Uh, and one Israeli official. So you've got three people telling you Israel was behind that. Obviously, Israel hasn't taken responsibility uh, for that specifically. But then you heard what's happening in, in, in Beirut. Uh, foreign ministry, such that they're trying to retain any kind of control over the situations, trying to hold Hezbollah back. Uh, which could jump in and, and, and defend here and, and, and escalate this further. So where does that go? I think uh, um, the Israelis are waiting to see how Hezbollah will retaliate. Uh, they think that Hezbollah is going to launch long-range missiles at Israel. But then the question is, what the, what's going to be the target? Is the target Tel Aviv? That's a one scenario which takes you to an all-out war in minutes. But if it's another target, let's say a military base, that's a different scenario that you can somehow contain. So I think we need to see what uh, Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, is going to do. He gave a speech a few hours ago, didn't really give any hints about where he's going, other than the fact that he says that there will be a retaliation. And the challenge for the Biden administration will be tomorrow when President Biden's envoy, Amos Hochstein, will be in Tel Aviv for talks with Israeli officials on what the Biden administration says it's trying to do to get some sort of a diplomatic initiative to calm down tensions between Israel and Lebanon. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Barack Ravid. I appreciate your time. And I want to bring in Seth Jones now, senior vice president at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So, Seth, when you hear Barack's uh, reporting, uh, look, the, the attacks on Iran, killing more than 100 people, I mean, incredibly brazen. And, and you heard Barack's reporting is that Israel was not responsible. Either they were or they weren't, or maybe, you know, somebody wants it to look like it was them, right? It's unclear at this time. Um, it's been four years since that general was killed, and uh, Iran obviously had promised retaliation then. Do you take their promises of retaliation now that you've got 100 Iranians dead uh, seriously? Do you think that that's real and soon? Well, Aaron, what's interesting is uh, that uh, Israel has conducted attacks in Iran, uh, but they have gen generally been very precise. They have uh, assassinated nuclear scientists. Mm. They have assassinated some al-Qaeda and other terrorists operating from cities like Tehran. But what the Israelis have not done is uh, this kind of indiscriminate attack, uh, which was, that's what was perpetrated. Yeah, there was a at suitcase the bomb in a car, right? There. Yeah, and, and it killed indiscriminately. So any anybody in the vicinity, women, children, men, whoever was there, that strikes me as unlikely, uh, very different from what Israel has done. There are other groups that have conducted an indiscriminate attacks, Mujahideen al-Khalq, uh, the Jandula, uh, the Islamic State. Uh, they have conducted indiscriminate attacks. So you know, it's one thing for the Iranians to publicly um, tie this attack to Israel and vow revenge. But I do think the Iranians are likely to be very careful on the response, particularly if they assess mm -hmm. it was not an Israeli assassination. 
Right. No matter what they say, right? What they actually, what they actually assess. But nonetheless, in this, as, as Brock's talking about, right? You've got Lebanon. You've got Yemen. Yemen. You've got the Gaza situation. You have a world increasingly divided over the war between Gaza, uh, Hamas, and Israel. Um, and in this, you are writing a Wall Street Journal op-ed today, uh, which I hope everyone will read, because you sound the alarm on China, and you say that China is on wartime footing wartime footing and that the United States is not. In fact, you look at historically when the United States was on wartime footing, the percentage of our GDP that the United States was spending on the military, triple, quadruple what it's spending now. Whereas China uh, is right now investing and, and you pointed out in some very sobering numbers. And you say specifically, China's preparing for a possible war with the United States. What do you see? Well, I, I think that the big picture here is that we've got a very delicate international security environment. I mean, you throw in the, the constant war in Ukraine right now, but we have elections in uh, in mid-January in Taiwan. It is likely at this point that the DPP is going to win that election. It's not the party that the uh, Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party wants. It is the pro-Taiwan party. Uh, there will almost certainly be in the period between the elections and uh, and when the DPP leader gets uh, inducted, uh, some kind of Chinese demonstration of force. Uh, we've seen variations along these lines. So I, I, I think what, what the U.S. has got to manage right now is it's got this spreading conflict that we've just heard in the Middle East. It's got a constant barrage of Russian attacks against uh, Ukrainian targets and cities with U.S. air defense systems, munitions and assistance. And now we have, we're on the verge of the potential escalation with Taiwan elections in, uh, in, in Asia. That is a very difficult situation for any U.S. president now to be in. Yeah, and, 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 and terrifying. And then when you look at the shortages uh, because of support uh, in these other conflicts that the U.S. has, even in munitions uh, and supplies. Seth, thank you very much. Seth Jones. And next, we are live in Iowa, where Republican candidates are, of course, right now hustling. Every single vote matters. One state, it's the first state. It matters. And some voters are starting to wonder why Haley and DeSantis are not taking on Trump as much as each other. And breaking news, hundreds of pages of documents tied to the accused sex offender Jeffrey Epstein just released. We're going through them. Uh, 200 names may be in there as we're combing through these, including some very well-known people. Welcome back to a special edition of Outfront. We are live in Iowa tonight, and you are looking at Grandview University in Des Moines. That is the site of my town hall tomorrow with the Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. And Haley and Ron DeSantis are facing tough questions today from voters. There are just 12 days to go, 12 days until the Iowa caucuses. And so much is at stake for this, for the whole country. And who has the momentum here? Jeff Zeleny is out front. Time is running short in the race for second place. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. What you're able to do in Iowa is going to reverberate all across this country. And former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. They don't see the momentum we have on the ground. We've got it in Iowa. We've got it in New Hampshire. Not only locked in a bitter fight for the Republican nomination, but for the right to confront Donald Trump head on. Their collision course, escalating for months, has left Trump in a frontrunner's lane of his own, much to the frustration of Republicans like Chris Garcia, who saw DeSantis today in Iowa. I think he needs to go after Trump 
and I don't see him doing it. Garcia asked DeSantis why he had gone soft on Trump, a question the governor took issue with. I've articulated all the differences time and time again on the campaign trail. When we caught up with Garcia, he told us he wanted to see DeSantis fight harder. He's going after Nikki Haley quite a bit and adds, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's fine, but Nikki Haley isn't the leader. You know, Donald Trump is. So that's, that's where it needs to be. Twelve days before Iowa opens the voting in the GOP primary, Trump holds a commanding lead, yet he's emerged nearly unscathed, at least in the onslaught of attack ads from his rivals. DeSantis and two allied groups supporting his candidacy spent $7.6 million targeting Haley last year in Iowa alone, compared to less than 500000 aimed at Trump. For her part, Haley and her leading super PAC spent nearly $10 million targeting DeSantis and only $1.5 million at Trump. It's a dizzying back and forth, with allies of Haley mocking DeSantis. You can't beat Trump by trying to be Trump. And belittling the management of his campaign and super PAC. In a world of chaos, the last thing America needs is another dumpster fire. Supporters of DeSantis casting Haley as a flip-flopper. Don't believe a thing Nikki Haley says. She doesn't. And falsely tying her to big-name Democrats. Just like Hillary Clinton, Nikki Haley shouldn't be president. Has Trump been the beneficiary of this back and forth between Haley and DeSantis? Well, I think he's been the beneficiary at some point because obviously the former president has gone after Governor DeSantis a lot, has spent millions of dollars against all him. All year long. All year long, has called him names, and now the same thing with Nikki Haley as well. Bob Vanderplatz, an influential Iowa Christian leader who endorsed DeSantis, said it's a delicate dance facing all candidates. How to confront the former president who still wields such loyalty in the GOP. If you're ever going to try to peel away the Trump voter to come to you, you can't alienate them. Okay, so that, that's an issue. Haley is closing strong, raising $24 million in the final quarter of last year, or then double her previous quarter. I've decided we need a governor as a Republican nominee. Doug Stout has studied all the candidates, and for now is still torn between DeSantis and Haley. It's bad that it's kind of devolved into something where they both seem to be fighting for second. They're not fighting for second, they're fighting for president. It's, it's amazing to look at the numbers. I mean, the numbers that they spend going after each other, Haley and DeSantis versus going after Trump. But you just mentioned those Haley fundraising numbers. What do they really look like in context? Look, it's extraordinary. I mean, $24 million over the October to December period. That's when she was really gaining ground in those debates. Twice as much as the quarter before, three times as much as the springtime. It would almost have been impossible to imagine that she would end the year and start this year with so much more money and a stronger financial position than Ron DeSantis. His super PAC is off the air here because of the money wow. difference. So now he has a second one that comes in. So all this matters is that she and her allies now are advertising so much. But the bottom line to all wow. this, they're in each other's way. And they are trying to sort of jostle with one another. And so many voters we talked to even today said they are still deciding between DeSantis and Haley. Right, DeSantis and Haley. Right. So that's that's where you've got the split. Indeed. That's why we talk about second. All right. Uh, Jeff Zeleny, of course, spending so much time here in Iowa. And throughout the campaign, many of the GOP hopefuls have repeatedly turned to a popular conservative radio show host and former state senator who has his finger truly on the pulse of Republican and Iowa politics, which is what we're talking about here. Here's what some of them have said to radio host Jeff Angelo to win over his listeners. 
for so many, they respect what he did, thought that he was the right president at the right time. But they want to look at some other options. They don't want just Trump and Biden. They want to leave the drama and the status quo of the past. And I, they do agree with me. You don't have to be 80 years old to serve in D.C. <laughs> I would represent uh, vigor and vitality in the executive that we sorely need. I'm also somebody that would be eligible to serve two terms. I mean, you know, Donald Trump would be a lame duck on day one. That's a huge liability in terms of actually being able to get all this stuff done. Make no mistake, I'm running to be the nominee. I want to beat President Trump and my fellow competitors in the GOP primary to lead this country. I think it's going to take somebody with fresh legs from the next generation. All right, Jeff Angelo is with me now, and he's the host of Need to Know with Jeff Angelo, the radio show. Uh, so, Jeff, um, you know, all of them talking to you again yeah. and again and again, and you obviously, you know, talking to your viewers and, and yeah. former state senator here. So if this is a race for second place, uh, which it appears to be, obviously, yeah, at this point in Iowa. OK, so you agree with that. So from everything you're seeing and hearing, who do you think has the edge in that number two? I think Ron DeSantis has the edge right now in the number two because he got Governor Kim Reynolds endorsement, who's very popular in Iowa. Right. But not only did she get behind a podium and say, hey, I really like Governor DeSantis. She said, here's access to my turnout machine. She's got a really impressive turnout machine. And of course, if it's going to be a cold, blustery night in Iowa on January 15th, turnout becomes really, really important. And I do think that Ron DeSantis has access to that superior turnout machine. All right. So it was interesting watching Jeff Zeleny lay out the numbers, right? Yeah. All the money. I mean, it's like, what, 10 times the amount being spent by, you know, taking on Haley or DeSantis right. by the other one as compared to what they're doing with Trump. And the, DeSantis rejected criticism today from an Iowa voter. A Iowa voter was saying, come on, why don't you take on Trump himself? I want to play a little bit more of that exchange. Okay. Mind you, boy, uh, but what, 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 but what do you think? So, you know, cause we, I've articulated all the differences time and time again on the campaign trail. I know. I just, I think that there's just a narrative that I think the narrative is this. I think what the media wants is, is they want Republican candidates to just kind of like smear him personally and kind of do that. That's just not how I roll. Right. Now, that voter, interestingly, wanted to make it clear he's still backing DeSantis, right. right? So he's still backing him despite his criticism. But from what you see, is there something here? Is there a point that DeSantis should be going harder? Yeah, Aaron, I mean, that, Iowa voters are very savvy, and that guy is absolutely right. It, it's crazy that we're repeating history again. When Trump was campaigning the first time around in Iowa, nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted to say anything negative because they were afraid of upsetting his supporters. They thought somehow magically he's going to falter and then I'll pick up his supporters. That doesn't happen magically. That sounds like deja vu, doesn't it? Yeah, it's deja vu all over again. We, we, you absolutely have to go hard against him because he's the leader. He's the front runner. He's the person you, you actually have to pull voters away from him. You have to say, look, uh, I know you're supporting right. Trump, but here's the reason you ought to support me instead. No, they've been destroying Haley and DeSantis have well, been destroying destroy each, each other. other and hoping they can pick up that vote. Right. Yeah. They're fighting for two. Yeah. And I think that after the campaign is over and you're talking to DeSantis people, they are going to say to you, Aaron, oh, I, you know what? We really made a mistake that we didn't go hard against Trump. You know, there's an old saying, if you're going to come at the king, you better not miss. If you want to win, go all in. Tell us why we shouldn't vote for Trump. And instead, you're going after 
the fellow second place finisher mm -hmm. 29 points back it makes no real sense well we'll see if they listen and then we'll <laughs> see and we'll see what happens you know when the when we get behind sight exactly. all right jeff great to see you and thank you here in des moines and we are hosting back-to-back -to -back town halls right here tomorrow night i will be back here uh, in des moines uh with nikki haley live at 10 and caitlin collins will host a town hall with ron DeSantis at nine o'clock eastern all right, next, after this, we will be talking about Republican lawmakers. They're taking a trip to the border, a group of migrants crossing into the United States just feet away when this happened. Quarter million illegal crossings in the month of December alone. Live at the border next, and breaking news, hundreds of pages of documents that name Jeffrey Epstein's prominent network of friends. It has just been released. We're combing through this, possibly hundreds of incredibly well-known names. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Tonight, a catastrophe. That's what the House Speaker Mike Johnson is calling what he saw as he toured one of the busiest air areas of the southern border. A group of migrants, literally when they were there, crossing the border right in front of Johnson, right in front of Johnson. He was there with 60 other Republican members of Congress. Take a look at this. Today, we got a firsthand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. The situation here and across the country is truly unconscionable. We would describe it as both heartbreaking and infuriating. The visit turning up the pressure on the Biden and Democrats to do something. I mean, after all, there were a record 225,000 border apprehensions last month alone. That's a, a quarter million in one month. You can do the multiplication. And that number is the highest in more than two decades. Ed Lavender is out front. He is live from Eagle Pass, Texas, which has really become uh, the center of this current crisis. And Ed, can you tell us more about what you saw alongside Speaker Johnson and the other lawmakers at the border today? Well, you know, you showed that moment where you had uh, two different groups of migrants who just happened to show up uh, on the Texas side of the Rio Grande as these Republican lawmakers were moving around here uh, this afternoon. You know, it's really hard to you know, kind of say uh, what was behind all of that, but uh, definitely clearly like, you know, a, a very odd situation, especially given that over the last few days in the week or so, uh, the number of migrants crossing uh, into Eagle Pass has dramatically uh, fallen off. So uh, there are a number of reasons for that. There are natural ebbs and flows to these migration patterns, but there's also, uh, we've heard anecdotally from people on the other side of the border that um, immigration checkpoints on the Mexican side have become much more robust, so that could play a part in uh, preventing migrants from reaching the, the Texas border as well. But we also heard, you know, a, a lot, uh, as we've talked about, Eagle Pass being this central point, um, and, and these lawmakers, more than 60 of them turned out here today, uh, really trying to ratchet up the pressure on the Biden administration to do more uh, on immigration. The Biden administration hit back saying that uh, this visit here today really kind of uh, is hamstringing uh, negotiations for a, for a border bill uh, that uh, Republicans and Democrats are trying to negotiate on the Senate side. 
So, Ed, you know, there are some major questions about whether House Republicans are going to accept any kind of a border deal, right? Any kind of a deal that's actually being negotiated in the Senate right now. Uh, you know, Senator Schumer, of course, came out and sort of, you know, saber rattled on that to Speaker Johnson. But what did Johnson say about that today? Well, we can, uh, he spoke with uh, CNN's Jake Tapper just a few hours ago. We can play a little bit about that because it kind of gives you a sense of where these House Republicans, and many of them kind of echoed similar themes to what the speaker was saying, uh, to kind of get a sense of where they are right now. You would turn down a compromise that was not 100% of HR2? Uh, Jake, I'm not going to answer hypotheticals because they've not sent us any uh, any any suggestion yet. This is not about sending more money down here. It's about changing the policy. And the White House seems not to understand that. So, Aaron, we spoke with several uh, House Republican members after the, their tour here this afternoon, and they all kind of said the similar thing. H.R. 2, what Jake was referring to there, is the House version of a border bill. And many of the Republican members are very skeptical that anything that comes out of the Senate will go as far as what they've passed in their own bill. And many of them also told us they're willing to shut down the federal government over this. Aaron? Well, all right. And, of course, that is... <laughs> That is now, we're counting down to that too as we talk about the political cycle and we've got another shutdown looming as well. All right, Ed Lavendera, thank you very much. As you see that barbed wire behind Ed along the border tonight. And next, breaking news, potentially explosive documents tied to the accused sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. These have just been released, going through them, as I've been saying, uh, some of the names in there, uh, possibly some of his very famous associates and many of them, plus new details about what may have caused that deadly runway crash in Japan. We have a special report from our Will Ripley this hour. Breaking news, we've got newly unsealed documents, 40 in total, okay, as this is coming out. These are all related to the accused sex trafficker, Jeffrey Epstein, and they were released just a few moments ago. So uh, as we go through them, um, we understand that they could reveal as many as 200 names that had previously been redacted. So names of some incredibly well-known, influential people that we did not know prior to this. I want to go straight to Shimon Procupez. He's been going through the documents for us. And Shimon, I understand, right, uh, you're talking about 40 documents, hundreds and hundreds of pages. So uh, you're starting to go through this. What are you finding yeah, so far? You know, the team is going through this, certainly. And a lot of this you know, relates to this lawsuit that was brought back in 2015 by one of the victims uh, against uh, Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who, as you know, was convicted back uh, in 21 uh, for sex trafficking and essentially aiding uh, Jeffrey Epstein in the sexual assaults of these women. Uh, so this lawsuit was brought back in 2015 against Ghislaine Maxwell. And just now, the court is unsealing all of this. And really, it's because of the fight uh, by victims and journalists in this case, specifically the Miami Herald, which has been fighting uh, for this information. And finally, today, uh, we're first seeing these documents. And as you said, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages, and it all relates to depositions and other court actions that the victim in this case, Virginia Jeffrey, was doing. She was doing stuff to try and get information to substantiate her allegations. So there's a lot of documents here, and as you said, a lot of names, some names that will be familiar to people, some that may not be. But as you said, we are continuing to go through those names, and we should have more uh, information here shortly. But this is a big moment, Aaron, for the victims in this case, for those who have followed this case for so many years, 
wanting transparency. And finally, now it appears that we have some of that. And it's not over. This is going to go on for a couple of days. No, absolutely. As, as you point out, right, 40, 40 documents and, and going to be more and more. But, uh, you know, people people have wanted this transparency. Yeah. And I think we're, we're all grateful we're finally getting it. All right. So as, as Shimon goes through this, his team goes through this, uh, he's going to come back on. But as I said, this is a mountain of information. So Shimon, thank you. Sure. Uh, Shimon uh, and his team back on this looking. Uh, meantime, we have new details about that fatal runway crash in Japan. And next, we're going to tell you what we've learned today. Our Will Ripley with exclusive reporting of whether there was a very specific and deadly mistake. We'll be right back. Tonight, alarming new details about the fiery, deadly crash on a Tokyo runway. We are learning that red warning lights to stop planes from taxiing onto the runway were actually not working when a Japan Airlines jet landed and crashed into the Coast Guard plane. This comes as we got new transcripts, uh, which are showing air traffic control had instructed the Coast Guard plane to, quote, taxi to holding point. A minute later, the passenger plane was cleared to land. Now, the transcript does not show the Coast Guard plan was cleared for takeoff. Will Ripley is out front with new details. A catastrophic collision in the heart of Tokyo. Captured from passenger Aruto Iwama's window seat as flames engulfed his Japan Airlines jet. Honestly, I was scared to death, he says. At landing, I felt strong shaking, and when I looked out the window, I saw sparks flying, the plane burning. When the plane stopped, in less than a minute, the cabin was full of smoke. That black smoke billowed through the cabin. In this video, the voice of a young child. Please let us off quickly, he says, a polite plea for help. Flight attendants forced to use megaphones to direct passengers. The onboard communication system broken. With just seconds to spare and some emergency exits blocked, the crew of 12 successfully evacuated 367 people, including eight infants. Everyone survived with barely a bruise. The investigation of Tuesday's harrowing crash focusing on four crucial minutes, 5.43 to 5.47 p.m. Japan Airlines flight JL-516 making its final approach over Tokyo Bay, cleared for landing at Haneda Airport, just as a Japan Coast Guard turboprop was pulling onto runway C, right into the path of the much larger Airbus A350-900, the airliner hurtling down the runway as flames consumed the fuselage. The explosion and fireball fully engulfed both aircraft in a matter of minutes. The airliner's fire-resistant materials and emergency exits allowing vital time for nearly 400 people to escape the inferno. At least five Coast Guard crew members died. Japan's transport ministry releasing the official written transcript of those final four minutes, suggesting possible miscommunication between air traffic control and the two planes. Cockpit audio confirms the tower telling the Coast Guard flight to taxi to a holding point, giving the commercial flight clearance to land. The transcript and audio raising key questions. Why was the Coast Guard plane in the wrong place? Why did the Japan Airlines pilots fail to see the other aircraft and abort the landing, especially on a clear evening with good visibility? Mangled metal and melted plastic a reminder of just how bad it could have been.
And what is left of that airliner still sitting on runway C right now? And just minutes ago, a team of investigators pulled up to the scene, including uh, technicians from Airbus who are helping the Japanese investigators comb through that wreckage, looking for the cockpit voice recorder, which could provide crucial clues as to what actually happened. We're still waiting for comment, Aaron, from the Japan Transport Ministry about CNN reporting that those lights on the runway were not working. Could the plane possibly have just moved a little too far onto the runway? creating this disaster. Oh, gosh, who knows? But what a miracle and how incredible those flight attendants. Holy wow. All right, thank you very much, Will. And thanks to all of you for being with us. We'll be back here tomorrow live in Iowa. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.